Welcome to In Conversation, a series of captivating and insightful dialogues with leading writers, artists, and spiritual teachers. In Conversation is a production of Banyan Books and Sound. An oasis in Vancouver since 1970, Banyan is a gathering place of the world's wisdom and healing traditions. Come by for a visit or find us at banyan.com for live events, books, and more. Hello, this is Farah, the podcast host of In Conversation, the podcast of Banyan Books and Sound. I'm delighted to be here with Mirabai Starr, who is an internationally known speaker and author who writes about interspirituality and has a gift for making wisdom accessible and relevant to contemporary seekers. We're here today to talk about her new book, Fierce Wild Mercy, Living the Fierce and Tender Wisdom of the Women Mystics. I'm so excited to have you here today. And um, I want to ask you, how did you find all these women mystics? Mm. Thanks, Farah, for, for having me and for companioning me in this conversation, by the way. It feels really auspicious because the book is just about to be born into the world. So I'm, I'm grateful to have you to witness this, this birth. Um, you know, I think I've spent a lifetime hanging out with these feminine wisdom beings and didn't notice for a number of years the way I had kind of gathered my tribe, both embodied women and historical women mystics from across the spiritual traditions and also the goddesses from all of the different spiritual traditions, that, that somehow they had become this wondrous team of wisdom beings who guided my steps and also stepped in, in as I was teaching about the mystics. So my life has been very much one of experiencing the, the jewels at the heart of all the world's religions. I, I have felt um, drawn to m- multiple sacred spaces my whole life and ended up you know doing an advanced degree in in philosophy and and world religions and then teaching world religions for many years and then eventually i left academia and just began offering the distilled essence of what i had gathered over the years in other kinds of um, retreat spaces primarily and through my books which have been translations of mystics, both women and men, uh, from from multiple traditions, and also teaching on online through the Shift Network and other spaces where I was really invited to zero in on the teachings of the women mystics and the goddesses, the the disembodied archetypal wisdom beings, and so just naturally this kind of came together in my new book, Wild Mercy, I I really do see it as an elixir, as a distilled essence of my favorite wisdom bits from all of these different beings and that it's the the right thing at the right time in the sense that yes, the feminine is rising and yes, she is needed, urgently needed right now in many different spaces, spirituality, politics, the arts and so on. Yes, we definitely live in a troubled and difficult world. And I think uh, definitely what you write about so much is relevant to everyday realities. Um, 
I, I want to ask you a little bit about the titling, like wild and fierce. These words really are very evocative. And what of the women mystics is really wild and fierce? Hmm. Well, I, I really feel like we're ready to graduate from the merry, meek, and mild um, archetype of, of the feminine. <laughs> Sorry about that. Can that be edited? Yes. Do we, we don't have to start from the beginning? No, we can edit it. Okay, so <clears throat> that's a good place to start. I know exactly where we were. So I want to ask you a little bit about the title, um, Wild Mercy and Living the Fierce and Tender Wisdom. What's wild and fierce about these women mystics? Oh, that's such a great question, Farah. I really feel like uh, we are ready, both women and men, to go beyond that kind of um, tender, meek, mild image of the feminine as being only about you know, unconditional love and forgiveness and gentleness and feelings. And yes, she is all of those things. And I have evoked all of those tender qualities uh, throughout this book. And I rely on them every day of my life for sure. But she is much more than, than that kind of, um, uh, what would it be called? Cliche of Mary, meek and mild. In fact, let's take Mother Mary in the Christian tradition as a perfect example of so much more than loving and compassionate and forgiving. She was wild. She was courageous. She was told when her son, Jesus, was an infant that he was going to die for stepping up and speaking truth to power and speaking the message of love and that she too would have a sword through her heart, which is the grief of the mother whose child dies. When she received the um, Annunciation, when the angel Gabriel came and filled the space around her, can you imagine how terrifying that visitation must have been? Mm -hmm. So let alone to have that angelic presence fill fill her space and speak to her, she was told that she was going to be the vessel for the incarnation of love in this world. And, um, and she felt like she was, she was nobody. She was, in fact, worse than nobody. She was a knocked up teenager, you know, <laughs> poor peasant girl, and she's going to be the mother of God. So there are all of these ways in which the feminine, both on this archetypal level, um, and also in the women mystics throughout history, and each of us right now, which is every woman I know who's being called to step up as a kind of reluctant prophet on behalf of love and, and healing in this world, it takes such courage and also a degree of madness. Like who in their right mind would say yes to such um, a, a vast and mysterious calling, as many of us are feeling in the, in the kind of world conversation right now. I mean, the feminine has been disparaged for millennia. Women have been killed for speaking truth. And I think there's something in us that knows how dangerous it is right now to shake up the existing entrenched masculine paradigm that we've all inherited, women and men, and that we are all needing to break open right now. The imbalance has been so extreme. 
that I, I almost feel, Farah, that for a time we need to emphasize the feminine. People talk about bringing it into balance. I think, I think actually we need the feminine to be the dominant energy um, on the world stage for a time to, to mend the, the brokenness, the tattered web of interbeing that is our true birthright. You know, uh, as I hear you speak, you're speaking so much to the realities of modern day life. And one of the things I love about the book is that it's so relevant and steeped with everyday stories from your own life and lives of people around you. Um, you know, even in terms of the uh, connection to the earth and the connection to each other, can you give us an example of one particular mystic that really speaks to what's needed in our world today? Mm. Well, that would be difficult because I, I'm just so madly in love with all of them. I mean, <laughs> detecting. Um, in many ways, I think Hildegard of Bingen, the, the medieval Rhineland visionary, she was a mystic, but she also was an artist. She was a social critic. She was a healer. She was like a Renaissance woman long before the Renaissance. Hildegard of Bingen lived in the Rhineland Valley in the 12th century, um, what is now known as Germany. And she had this deep and potent connection to the earth as a divine being in herself. So even though Hildegard was squarely in the Christian tradition and has recently been finally, after a thousand years, uh, canonized and is now St. Hildegard, it took the church a really long time to catch up with her sanctity, but not the people. The people always recognized Hildegard as a saint because there was this way in which she embraced all of embodied experience, which is the essence of the feminine. The feminine is incarnation. The feminine is all about embodiment, about imminence. It's not just about getting to God through this transcendent path, you know, moving up and out of, of our embodied experience, uh, which the masculine paradigm considers to be a limitation or an illusion, this world. But the feminine understands in every particle of her being that everything is holy that embodiment itself is infused with the divine. And Hildegard really got that. So Hildegard had this deep love affair with the earth, and she spoke to her. Like Francis, who was pretty much a contemporary of Hildegard, Francis of Assisi in Italy, spoke to the earth, related to the earth as a cherished relative who gives us, shares with us her great abundance. And Hildegard coined the term Viriditas, which means something like the greening energy of the earth, which is holiness, which is imminence, which is indwelling, which is feminine. And what a very different world we would live in if we, if we had that relationship with the earth and the planet. Yes. And many of us do. And many of us are singing that song loud and clear and in harmony right now. It's not a rare um, position. It's just rare that it's emphasized in the culture at large. And, you know, just now when I, when I said singing this song in harmony of our connectedness to the earth, of our, our interdependence with the earth, 
I realized that that is the other element of the feminine that is so important for for me and that I see in all the mystics and the and the wisdom beings that I told stories about in this book of stories is is that we cannot do this alone. We must not do this work alone, this stewardship of the earth, this prophetic task of of tending to the wounds of the human family, the animal family, that this work of spiritual awakening and service is a collective task. And I think that the predominant masculine paradigm that we've inherited through through all the world's great religions has emphasized private salvation personal liberation mm-hmm. and even when they when they when the philosophy is very much one of commune communal collective being there still has been this like i'm going to purify myself so i can get right with God and I'm going to perfect myself so I can, I can move beyond these human limitations. The feminine is about the beautiful, messy particularity of our <laughs> incarnational experience and the ways in which we can only do this work together. There is only, there is only us. There is no other. You know, when you speak about the difference between transcendence and imminent, um, is there any of the feminine women mystics that really embodies that particular imminence of, of being in the body and in relationship with others and in community? Mm, Yeah. To pick another Christian mystic, um, by the way, just quick aside, I am Jewish and I'm also a Sufi. I have, I have multiple initiations in different Sufi communities. And I've had a lifelong Buddhist meditation practice. And I have a deep devotion to a Hindu guru named Karoli <laughs> Baba. Um, and so the one tradition that I didn't personally have, have a connection with um, until later was Christianity. I think there was a certain allergy <laughs> to tradition in my in my agnostic Jewish family, and my family was not religious at all. They didn't like any religion. They felt religions were were oppressive and responsible for for a lot of suffering in this world. But I fell in love with Saint John of the Cross, the 16th century Spanish mystic, the ecstatic mystic. Um, when I was in my early 20s, precisely because he felt like a Sufi to me, and I was very much on a Sufi path. In fact, John of the Cross's poetry echoes the poetry of Rumi to an incredibly precise degree. And so it was through John of the Cross and my first book, which was a translation of Dark Night of the Soul, John of the Cross's masterwork, that the door opened for me to all of these Christian mystics. And from this male mystic, John of the Cross, who had a feminine heart, by the way, uh, feminine soul, I was introduced to all of these beautiful Christian mystics who helped me to fall in love with Christ. And now I've added that to my list of beloved traditional um, spiritual paths. So Teresa of Avila, Santa Teresa de Avila, St. Teresa, was John of the Cross's um, mentor, really, his spiritual teacher. I call her his guru. (laughs) And she really embodied the 
fierce and tender wisdom that I speak about in the subtitle of my book, Wild Mercy. And she was wild. She carried that duende, that spirit, that, that ineffable something that was alive and deeply connected to the divine. What does mystic mean? A mystic is one who has a direct connection to God or to the sacred or to the one not mediated through the established rituals or belief systems that, that are fed to us through the world's religions. A mystic has a direct, unmediated, unregulated, often ecstatic encounter with the source and afterwards is compelled often to share about it and most often through poetry because the language of poetry metaphorical as it is, is the closest to describing that sacred encounter of lover and beloved. And so Teresa of Avila was that one who was on fire with love longing, who had experienced the taste of connection with her beloved and then separation and then reconnection and then separation. And it's that dance of union and duality that really marks the the beauty and passion of the mystics and especially the women mystics. But Teresa was also exceedingly practical. She was one smart cookie. She was educated, self-educated. Um, she read a ton and she was an administrator of her spiritual communities. She was the, the abbess and she was, she was an architect. She was a planner. She was a psychotherapist, you know, all of these things unofficial, but very grounded. I mean, Teresa famously said things like, God lives among the pots and pans. It doesn't get much more embodied than, than that. So she would go into these ecstatic states, was even said to have levitated on multiple occasions, which annoyed her. Uh, she said it annoyed her, I suspect, secretly. Delighted her, especially if other people were watching. But she also, so she could go into these ecstatic states and, and spout this beautiful ecstatic poetry. And then she also was just incredibly grounded, got things done, was aware of everything that was going on in all of her communities, all the politics, actually rather skillfully manipulated the Inquisition so that they did not um, end up condemning her, although they certainly had every reason to. Um, she, had, she had tremendous grounded practical skills that balanced this predilection for states of swooning union with her beloved. You know, just as you speak about it, it, it so much evokes those states itself. So is that a part of your hope with the book is that through reading people will have an experience or taste of what these mystics were able to experience? Mm, what a beautiful question, Farah. Um, the book has been shared uh, as a, an e-version with, with many, many people who have been reading it to review it. In fact, I've received a, a beautiful flood of reviews already. And, you know, a month from publication, it's been number one on, on Amazon for, um, for weeks. So something is happening that has nothing or very little to do with me. There is some way in which this book, as this elixir, as this distilled essence of the wisdom of these feminine beings and their stories, that is striking a chord not only with women, but also with men who are hungry for the wisdom 
of the feminine. But the the main feedback I'm getting is that when people read this book, something is happening in their hearts. Something is opening and shifting and changing them um, in ways that are both that are both gratifying and also uncomfortable uncomfortable for people because this shift that is happening has been a long time coming and it's a big shift it's a planetary shift in the collective feminine and um it's exciting but it's also it also carries an element as i said earlier of risk of of almost danger but it's not dangerous it's just new it's ancient and it's new and so this there's something about this book that is speaking to people on that level. And it's, um, it's very charged. It's charged with what in the Hindu tradition is called Shakti, which is this life force energy that's, that is wild and it is unpredictable. And finally, I am a writer. You know, I, I am a, a teacher of these wisdom um, jewels, yes, that I have gleaned. I am a scholar, kind of, but I'm also a poet. I am an artist of language, and that is my great love. Ever since I was a little girl, I have loved to write. And so this book, it has been an opportunity for me to unleash my wild creative voice. And that has been a source of great joy for me and seems to be speaking to others as well. And I noticed that in the book, there's a lot of opportunity for people to journal and reflect and use writing as a contemplative and spiritual practice. That's right. So at the end of every chapter, I give a writing prompt and some instructions about how, how you might approach that. Because for me, writing has been the single most transformational spiritual practice um, that I know. And I know that's a, that's a huge claim, but there is a way in which writing can be and often is an alchemical process in which we transmute the lead of our experience into the gold of something that is transformed into a greater, more universal, accessible uh, awakening to be shared with others. And here's the secret. It's not some lofty, abstract, philosophical piece of writing I'm talking about that is the transformational alchemical journey. It is the embodied personal experience that we each carry that gets broken open when we write about it, when we authentically tell the truth about our experience, when we share our stories. There's nothing like it. So it's um, putting in words our lived experience and distilling the wisdom of that, that, that is part of the alchemy of writing. Absolutely. And it's not about reflecting on what it even means necessarily. It's telling the truth about our experience. And through that truth telling, through that storytelling, that wisdom shines through. It's, it's been such a delight. I'm sure I could easily spend hours chatting with you, which I hope I one day have an opportunity to do. Um, but how do you experience these mystics in your own life and how are they a part of your own life? Oh, in every way. You know, before we started this conversation together today, I 
took a moment to close my eyes and turn inward and call upon them and say, I cannot do this by myself. I should not do this by myself. That's not what this is about. I, I know um, it's about us and I need you to come through. I will try to open the vessel that I am and get out of my way a little, at least a little bit so that you can inhabit me and speak the truths that need to be shared. So I feel like I have this team of wisdom beings that I call upon and in whose footsteps I walk and on whose shoulders I ride. And that even includes my own daughter, Jenny, who died when she was 14, was killed in a car accident at 14, the very day that my very first book came out, Dark Night of the Soul. And Jenny is part of that team. The day that my daughter died, she became my ancestor and joined that circle of ancestors that surround me and hold me in stepping up in this way now. And each of us has our circle of of wisdom beings and feminine wisdom beings who are the ones that I feel are most powerful resources for all of us on our journey forward in this beautiful broken world. Yes, that's a beautiful, um, beautiful, precise description, (laughs) this beautiful broken world that needs us, needs each one of us. And, um, needs the wisdom that's in this book. And uh, so it's been such a delight. I thank you so much for all that you've shared with us today. And I'm wondering if you can end with a little bit of poetry or a little bit of reading from the book itself. Oh, sure. Why don't I just uh, start from, from the beginning. I'll read the opening paragraph in the introduction. There is a secret fiesta going on in a wild wood, and you are invited. This party has been unfolding for millennia. Its hosts are women mystics from all branches of the soul family. Hinduism, Buddhism, Taoism, Judaism, Christianity, Islam, and every indigenous wisdom way. Its guests include anyone whose heart has ever yearned for union with the beloved and the alleviation of suffering for all sentient beings, which means you. The gathering is secret simply because historically, for wise women to gather openly has been to risk death. It's not that they have been afraid to die, but rather they have known in every muscle fiber that they must protect themselves because their knowledge is needed. Their love and clarity and beauty are profoundly, urgently needed. And so they have gone about in disguise, sprinkling party invitations in the public square, waiting to receive us when we come. They wait patiently, but they are excited. (laughs) Thank you so much. I'm I'm excited for you and for the um, possibility and opportunity that this book will bring and uh, Hope that you have a very receptive audience when you come to Vancouver for your book launch and reading at Banyan Books. Thank you. I love Vancouver. I love Banyan Books, and I'm super excited about about being there. So thank you. Thank you for having me, Vancouver. See you soon. Namaste. 
You've been listening to In Conversation, a podcast of Banyan Books and Sound, Canada's spiritual and healing resource since 1970.